But I'm so glad to be with you today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. In just a moment, we'll read from our next passage, preaching through the whole Gospel of John. Every verse, every verse. And I'm so excited. Uh, it's going to take me a while, but I'm excited about that preaching uh, platform uh, that I'm using. I began today with a story that happened years ago. Now, it was, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a Special Olympics event, but this was Seattle, Washington, and there was a uh, Special Olympics event. And in this particular one, they were having a 100-yard race, and they had nine contestants in this particular 100-yard dash race. And so the gun fired, and they all took off. Someone said it wasn't much of a dash because each one of them had physical or emotional or mental disabilities, but they moved with all their might, and they were just going to get to the end of that finish line and hopefully win, except one little boy fell almost as soon as the uh, race started. He fell, he tumbled several times, and he just began to cry. And guess what happened? All the rest of them stopped immediately, turned around, saw the little boy, and they all rushed back to his aid. One little girl with Down syndrome kissed him and said, that'll make it better. And then they all linked arm in arm and all went to the finish line together. Well, the crowd went crazy. They clapped just like that, Seth. They clapped for a long time. And they just couldn't stop clapping because it did something to that crowd. You can imagine. Well, today I'm going to preach out of a difficult passage. And there is a finish line. And I started to say I wish that it was the same way in life that we could all help everybody get across that finish line. But truth is we can. We're going to read about a resurrection and a judgment. And the truth is, we can help other people across that line. As we witness, as we share the story, it was mentioned in the video, we can help people cross that finish line. And just as precious as a group of special uh, children helping one another in the Special Olympics, we can help one another across that finish line. So I invite you to look today with me to a passage. And again, it's a tough one. Why is it so tough? Well, because it tells us of some sad stuff. Remember last week we talked about the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda? Do you remember the three things I told you you're supposed to do? He was told to do? Get up, pick up your mat, and what? Walk away. Get up, pick up, and walk. And those are things that we need to do in a lot of circumstances in our life. To get up, to pick it up, and walk away. Well, now we see what happened as a result of the healing. Many of the Jewish leaders took exception, not only to what Jesus did, but also to what he said. And there's an attempt on his life. We know that religious, spiritual issues evoke a lot of emotion. And that's what we see happening here in this text as these religious leaders have had their emotions ignited, and we see them making a play for Jesus' life. Well, they became indignant. 
because they felt Jesus was claiming to be equal with God. And that they could not stand. No human being could claim equality with God. And they were going to teach him a lesson. So we're going to read what happened in this interchange, in this discourse, in this uh, really difficult uh, interchange. So look with me, beginning with verse 15. We left there, I think, last week, 15 or 16. Would you go back up to 15 just in case? The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, verse 16, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Our little Sunday school class a while ago talked about the Sabbath and how People have become so, or used to be, and still some are, very legalistic about it. It is supposed to be a day of rest. Uh, some of you need to know that. It's supposed to be a day of worship. But because he did what he did on the Sabbath, they sought to kill him. But Jesus answered them and said, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So they are pointing their bony fingers at him. How dare you claim equality with God? So what did Jesus say? Did he plead innocent? Look at the title of my sermon. He said, that's me. I'm guilty. I do claim equality with God. Then Jesus answered, look at verse 19. Said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. And whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives, them to, gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should, show, all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now look at 24, most assuredly. Now if you're reading King James, what does it say? Verily, verily. Most assuredly is our version. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For, just, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And has given him authority to execute what? Judgment. Also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Now verse 29. And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. We'll stop there and we'll pick back up next week with verse 30. But again, instead of denying that which the Jews accused him of, Jesus just kind of said, hey, 
you're right. I do claim equality with God. And then he sets forth a discourse, a narrative, in which he describes exactly how that equality has been manifest. And so if today, let me ask you this, if someone made that claim today, wouldn't we say, well, he's either crazy or untrue? He's either uh, mentally insane or he's a liar. Well, which one is Jesus? Well, in the 21st century, people have to be confronted with that reality that he's one or the other or he's for real. Or he's for real. How could a crazy man, a dishonest man, change the lives of so countless the numbers of people that Jesus has changed over these years? How could a crazy man or a dishonest man have made the impact that Christ has made? Either he is who he claims to be or he is a madman. And we opt for the former and not the latter. He is indeed our Savior. Now, he claimed equality with God. Let's look and see what he said. First of all, he claimed to be one with his father in his works. And so verses 15 through 21, he said, we're the same in what we do. Uh, we do what we do in like manner. And so if healing this man at the pool of Bethesda was a sin, you just got to blame the father. He told me to do it. He wasn't passing the blame, but he was saying we're equal in all that we do. What I did was because that's what the Father wanted me to do. And so if you're angry with me about it, you have to be angry with the Father as well because we work together. Now you say, but wasn't Jesus a man? Yes, he was. And as a man, he limited himself. As a man, he set aside some of his independence. As a man, yes, he did uh, limit himself in the fact that he could not be everywhere at all times. He did lay aside that independent exercise of his divine attributes. We know he went into the wilderness right after his baptism, if you remember, and he was tempted and yet without sin because the Father loved him so. He sent him on that message, that, that, that mission that he might redeem the world for himself. Jesus did the same work that the Father did. And I also love how he talks about the love the Father had for him. Because the Father loved me, he gave me this work. We often don't think enough of how much the Father loves the Son. And yet in verse 20, he references that love. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Jesus claimed to be one with the Father in his works. I like that. Jesus said, I plead guilty. We are one and the same. Second, Jesus, uh, and let me just say it this way, for Jesus to have claimed to have power to raise the dead, for example, that was a blasphemous thing in the eyes of the Jewish leaders. Now, we don't know that he had raised the dead yet, but he was going to. Now, the Jews believe that Jehovah God, that Yahweh God, whatever Hebrew word you want to use, that he held three great keys. And they would, a uh, Jewish leader would tell you, first of all, he held the keys uh, to open heavens and give rain. Second, he had the key to open the womb and give conception. Third, to open the grave and raise the dead. Jesus 
was going to raise the dead in a lot of ways. Physically, yes, he would do that. But also we know in verse 21 is referring to the gift of spiritual life. As he says, for as the Father gives the dead, raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. And so Jesus is the way to eternal life. Not only physical, but physical, but spiritual as well. He claimed to be one with the Father in his works. I plead guilty, he said. Second, we see Jesus claim to be equal with the Father in executing judgment. Now, this is an interesting verse, isn't it? And, and Samantha and I were just talking about it a while ago. That Jesus has been granted the right to be judge. And that is an awesome responsibility. To the Orthodox Jew, only God the Father. The judge was the judge of all earth. No one dared ever claimed any kind of co-equality with God the Father in regards to judging. But Jesus said, the Father has given that to me. And in the end time, Jesus will be the judge that will judge all. He will be the judge of everything. And by claiming to be the judge, he claimed to be God. I believe the Jewish leaders were shaking at this point. Shaking. And again, I'm not putting them down. They were trying to defend that which they believed. But they failed to see that Jesus was equal with God. He is not only like me, the Father, in work. He is going to be the judge that I will appoint to judge all the living and the dead. He is the judge. And Jesus said, I plead guilty. That's me. Third, he claimed equal honor with the Father. Now, if they were shaking after he said he was the judge, by now, they don't know what to do. Uh, have you ever heard of a paroxysm? <laughs> well, that's a good word you need to learn, but they were having a spell. That's the way we say it down south. They were having an absolute spell, a paroxysmal fit. They were having just, they were, they were just beside themselves with anger. Because now he claims to have equal honor with the Father. Look at verse 23. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. What a tremendous claim. If you do not honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. Religious people then and now claim they worship God. But they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They did not have, nor do they today, have the deity of Christ. They don't understand who Christ is. You see, apart from Christ, we cannot know the Father. We cannot worship the Father. We cannot serve the Father. But it is only through the Son that we understand who God really is. And he claimed to have equal honor. If you deny the Father, you deny the Son. If you deny the Son, you deny the Father. I've told you how disturbing it is in the 21st century to see the number of people, even religious people, that will allow you to talk about God. But once you mention the name Jesus, there's a visceral reaction. You cannot do it. Oh, let's talk about God because he's rather amorphous. He's rather ethereal. He's kind of this, this spirit out there. But once you begin to identify him as Jesus, you've crossed the line. Uh, 
we were gone last Sunday, you know that. We were at a wedding. And I told you, didn't I tell you I loved weddings? Did I ever tell you that? <laughs> uh, no, I do not. In fact, we had to go to one yesterday. Excuse me, we got to go to one, right, Dale? Yesterday. We had to drive all the way yesterday to Aner, South Carolina. That's it's pr- spelled Anor, but it's pronounced Aner. You know where Aner is? It's in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So we went to a wedding yesterday, got to go to a wedding yesterday. So last Sunday, we were in Nashville for a wedding. Got back late because the wedding, the wedding, I've told y'all, they don't have them in churches anymore. Do you understand this? People don't get married in churches anymore. They get married in barns. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is what people like to do today. They get married in barns. I, don't explain it to me. I, I, don't ask me to explain it to you. I cannot. Makes no sense. So you go out and you get married in a barn. They call it a venue, which that's just a name for a place. But, okay, whatever you want to do, that's fine. I've had to deal with my own daughters and their idiosyncrasies in marriages too. But anyway, so we went. But whilst we were there, we were there on Sunday morning. So we do what we do on Sunday morning. We go to church. We always do. Always have. Always do. Went to the church where Dale and I were members, Clearview Baptist Church in Franklin, Tennessee. And the preacher was a preaching, and what he said just struck me. Now, I didn't agree quite with the wording, but he was talking about the future of their church. And he was talking about how their church is going to do things a little differently than other churches. Okay. And he said, listen, I know all of our churches try to be relevant, but the gospel's not relevant in the 21st century. And I understood what he was saying. I, I do think church, and I, I would agree, churches should try to be relevant. We must. Uh, there are some programs and things that we do to be relevant. Yes, yes, we should. But what he said was, in essence, true. The gospel is a reproach to this culture. He said, just tell people that you've got to repent of your sins or you're going to go to hell. And watch everybody in the 21st century say, sure, yeah, right, yeah, wow. Let me get on that train, yeah. The gospel is repugnant. Paul said it. It is true, it's repugnant to this culture. And for Jesus to say what he said and to say, if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father... That is not politically correct. And I say, so be it. So be it. I know where I want to hitch my wagon. He claimed to be of equal honor with the Father. And then last, he claimed to have authority to raise the dead. Now again, if the, if the Jewish authorities had been shaking and having fits, by now they probably passed out. They have probably just had a spell and passed out. I've taught some of you, they had a DFO, that's a medical term, a physician friend taught me, and it means he done fell out. They probably have fallen out at this point. Because he claims to have authority to raise the dead. And so he says in verse 24, most assuredly, again King James Version says, Verily, verily. And any time Jesus says that, that's the second time he said it in John. He means you better watch out what I'm getting ready to say. It is important. And so he says, I have authority 
to raise the dead. He speaks about four different types of resurrections here. First, he describes the resurrection of lost sinners into eternal life. Not a literal resurrection, but when salvation occurs, resurrection occurs, right? And so I've got to ask you this morning, have you been resurrected to new life? That's what Jesus is talking about here. He points out that that his coming to resurrect people spiritually is the most important of all. He says, my, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So resurrection occurs every time a man, woman, boy, or girl says yes to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Resurrection has occurred, and that is exciting. That is very exciting. And I ask you, have you been raised from the dead? Well, a lost sinner is as helpless and as lifeless as a corpse at the funeral home. We know that. They have, they're helpless to help themselves, and a lost person is helpless. But Jesus reaches out to them and calls them to salvation. And there is enough image of God left to say, yes, Lord, I take your hand. Everlasting life, he says, means they can never die spiritually again. Dale and the ladies have been studying on Tuesday mornings, the Bible study about the I am's. And one of them will come to later in chapter 11. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me will never die. Oh, my friend, Jesus claimed to have power to raise the dead from life, uh, to life. And that's what we're reading about. Well, second resurrection is the resurrection of our Lord himself. It is obliquely referred to in verse 26 when he says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted, granted the Son to have life in himself. In other words, our life is derived, his life is original. Someone has to give us our life. He has it in himself. That's powerful. You see, the grave could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ because he was life. He was the prince of life. Because he had life in himself, he rose from the dead. And he can give and share that life with all who trust in him. The resurrection of the Lord himself will occur. It did occur. The third resurrection will occur is the future resurrection of life. In 28 and 29, he talks about the resurrection of the future resurrection of life when believers are raised from the dead. We talk about this. This talked about a great deal in 1 Corinthians 15. As Paul talks, I call it the resurrection chapter. As he says, someday those who have died and already gone to be with the Lord will come back and be reunited with what's called a resurrection body. One author I read this week, commentator, comments on the scripture. He said, just remember, resurrection is not reconstruction. What does that mean? Well, those physical molecules will not be brought into a resurrection body. They'll be reconstituted in a way, but not reconstructed. Those will be changed to a spiritual molecule and they'll make up a spiritual resurrection body that is not like our physical body. 
We'll have a new body, a glorified body, suited to the new heavenly environment. So death is not the end, he says. And I am the Lord of resurrection. And then last, he talks about the resurrection of condemnation. And this will be where the lost are brought before him and given their final destination. It will be an awesome event. But the Father has committed all judgment to his Son. And believers will be given resurrection bodies so they might reign with Christ. And unbelievers will be sent to their final place, the lowest of lows. The fact that Jesus had authority to raise the dead is proof that he is equal with the Father. Therefore, he is God. He is God. He pleaded guilty to all the claims the Jewish leaders laid before him. He said, I plead guilty. I am equal with the Father in his work. I am equal with the Father in his honor. I am equal with him in resurrection. I am the judge. Well, the Jewish leaders certainly knew we've got to get rid of this man. Because that which he said is beyond revolutionary It is frightening to us. And they began their plans to get rid of Christ. But I ask you today, what are you going to do with Christ? What are you going to do with Christ? I want to end with a powerful illustration. Do you know who Copernicus is? He was a Polish mathematician. His studies and calculation revolutionized what people believed at the time about the solar system, about the earth. He wrote a book entitled The Revolution of the Heavenly Bodies. When he died, that book, which had become so famous, which did revolutionize the thought of of how people viewed the earth and solar system, that book was placed in his arms. Yet this great intellect who told what stars are like, he pronounced many of the physics laws of the universe he saw himself not as a scholar not as an astronomer but only as a sinner and so today if you go to his grave in Frauenberg here is what is written on his tombstone now listen these are the words of Copernicus I do not seek a kindness equal to that given Paul Nor do I ask the grace granted to Peter. But what I ask is that you give me the forgiveness that you gave to the robber. That earnestly I crave. Today I ask you what are you going to do with Jesus? He is God. God the Son. He is the Judge. He is equal with God the Father in every way, in honor and in work. What will you do with him? And if you are like me, you will be like Copernicus and say, Oh Lord, I just ask that you would forgive me. And if you don't know him, that you would say, Lord Jesus, save me. You're the way to the Father. You're the way to heaven. You alone can take me where I want to go. Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, we thank you.
for your word to us today. And Lord, we talk about red letters. You've given us the ultimate red letters today. And we thank you for that. And we pray, Lord God, that right now you would be the Lord of our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.